Well, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 8. We will pick up in verse 31 this morning where we left off last week and go down through verse 1 of chapter 9 in a message entitled, The Cost of Discipleship. The Cost of Discipleship. Have you ever had a certain sort of circumstances come before you and you had a perception of how things were going to be and you totally missed it? You ever had that happen? You had certain expectations, certain thoughts about the way things should go and then in the middle of it, you realized I was completely wrong. I'm not much of a romantic. My wife will tell you that. And I will own that. I try, just not the best at it. But on our first anniversary, we were in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and I had this dream about creating an anniversary experience that my wife would never forget. And so church, I want you to know that I went all out. We got reservations at a nice restaurant. I got tickets for us to go see the Nutcracker. And so we go to eat dinner. It's wonderful. I mean, amazing food. It was a la carte. It was more expensive than I thought it was going to be. But we finish. We go to the Nutcracker. We sit down. And I don't know if you know this or not. The Nutcracker is a ballet. (laughs) Do you know that? About 15 minutes in, watching them prance across the stage, I'm thinking, this is not what I was expecting. (laughs) And so I turned to Janie. Here's what I, so I had gone to plays growing up. I had seen that, I'd seen theater, and I'm thinking, somebody at some point is going to say something. I turned to Janie, I said, when do they start talking? (laughs) And she looked at me and said, they don't. This is a ballet. And I said, I don't know what that is. Just don't know. Had no expectations met that night outside of the steak for dinner. That was the only thing. That was what I expected it to be. As we look at the text this morning, I want you to know that for Jesus' disciples, they have, as I mentioned last week, certain expectations of who Jesus is and how Jesus is supposed to function as the Messiah. They have a picture in their mind, and what we're going to see this week is that that picture is far from what Jesus is going to say that he has come to do. So I want to read the text for us this morning, and as we prepare to do that, you can write down these parallel passages. Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. Luke chapter 9, verses 21 through 27. I would encourage you and your own time with the Lord over the course of this next week to take some time to read through those passages, to reflect on the truths that we talk about this morning as we consider what it looks like to follow Jesus. 
Look with me, Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. This is God's word. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want to encourage you to write down this main idea. It'll frame our time together as we consider these verses this morning. It's this truth, the call to follow Jesus is come and die. The call to follow Jesus is a call to come and die. Now, if we just closed out that morning, you may leave discouraged. You may leave thinking, I'm not sure I signed up for that. Imagine in this moment that Jesus' disciples, had they heard that, would probably have said, I'm not so sure I'm ready to sign up for that. So think about where they are in this moment. They have come back on the back end of Peter's declaration last week we saw Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the long-awaited one. You are the one who God has promised to send who would save his people from their sins. And Jesus says, Peter, you didn't come up with that on your own. In fact, that came from my heavenly father. 
But remember last week in verse 30, Jesus strictly charged them not to say anything about that confession. We said last week it wasn't because Jesus didn't agree, but it was because Jesus had to invite them in to a full picture, an understanding of what that meant exactly. And that's exactly what he's going to do beginning here. And as we continue to walk through Mark's gospel, we're going to to see Jesus up the ante on following him. Because at its core, if we are going to follow Jesus, the call to follow him is come and die. I want you to look beginning in verse 31 that Jesus is going to very clearly tell the disciples what they can anticipate moving forward. He's going to provide for them. Here's exactly what you can anticipate. I used to have a saying that was told to me often. It's better to have an understanding on the front end than a misunderstanding on the back end. Better to have an understanding, let's be clear of what our anticipation is on the front end versus having a misunderstanding on the back end, and that's exactly what Jesus is going to give his disciples in this moment. Look with me at verse 31. It says, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Now remember, on the back end of Peter's confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, hang on just a second. Before we broadcast that information, before we talk about that, you need to understand what that means particularly. And so Jesus says about himself, he calls himself the son of man, and he's going to give for his disciples and for us, as we look back on it, four things that must come to pass. So Jesus says, the son of man must What are those four things? Well, look with me. The Son of Man must suffer many things. The Son of Man must be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. The Son of Man must be killed. The Son of Man must rise again after three days. Now we look at that, and for us, looking back on it, we say, exactly. That's exactly what Jesus is going to experience. That's exactly what his life looked like. And yet in this moment, remember that his disciples are simply looking forward. They are wrapped up in this moment, but as Jesus says this, notice how he describes himself At the beginning there, in verse 31, he calls himself the Son of Man. 
When we look at that, we may not think much about that. In fact, some have gone in and said, see, on the back end of the confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Jesus himself doesn't call himself that. In fact, he calls himself the Son of Man. There are those who would look and say, see, Jesus is not claiming that as his title. Jesus is saying he is simply one of us. Here's the problem with that. Write this down, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I'd encourage you to spend some time this week in those verses. But in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, Daniel writes, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Listen to what it says describing the Son of Man. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom filled with all peoples, languages, and nations. And it says about this king that his dominion will never cease, that his kingdom will go on for all eternity. For the Jews of Jesus' day, for him to call himself the Son of Man very clearly meant that he was the long-awaited Messiah. He was the one who would come and have dominion. He was the one who would come that all tribes, nations, and languages would worship him. His kingdom would never end Jesus as he prepares his disciples for what they can anticipate, defines himself as the son of man. But then he says these four things. Disciples, here's what you can anticipate. Here's what you can be prepared for. The Son of Man will suffer many things. The Son of Man will be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. The Son of Man will be killed. The Son of Man will rise again after three days. You may have come in this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. Maybe you have questions about who Jesus is. I want you to know Mark's gospel is very particular in laying out for us the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior. He is the Son of God. I want you to hear me this morning. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, clue in on this verse. Because what Jesus is saying here is that he is the Messiah and his mission as he has come is to do these four things. He will come as a suffering servant. Isaiah 53 lays this out very clearly for us in the Old Testament. He will come and be rejected by the religious leaders of his own day. We see the beginning of this as we've begun to walk through Mark's gospel, but we're going to see it amp up even more as we continue moving forward, that the religious leaders of Jesus' day are seeking to kill him. We're going to see that he will be killed. Jesus will be 
crucified on a cross. And we will see that Jesus will rise from the dead after three days. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that is the message of the gospel. That Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect sinless life, suffered, was rejected by the religious leaders of his day, took your sin and my sin upon himself on the cross, was killed there, but rose from the dead after three days securing salvation for you and for me. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this is the verse you need to dwell on today. Jesus' disciples clearly were not expecting him to say what he just said. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because in verse 32 and verse 33, we see this on display. In fact, we're going to see a bold confrontation, two of them, fireworks flying in the text. In fact, verse 32, it says that Jesus said this plainly. Remember that leading up to this point, Jesus has been teaching in parables, right? And then he would pull his disciples aside and he would say to them, now here's what this means. But here Jesus tells them this truth plainly. Here's the four things you should anticipate of the Son of Man. Here is what my life is going to look like moving forward. Notice verse 32, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter, the same Peter that last week declared that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus says, this is what this looks like moving forward. Peter pulls Jesus aside. And there is a forceful element that the text describes. He rebukes Jesus. In fact, that same word rebuke is the word that Jesus uses with demons. Think about this. Peter pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him. It's Jesus. You need to stop talking like that. Jesus, you need to shut that thing down. You can't say things like that. You can't talk about suffering. You can't talk about being rejected by the religious leaders. You're talking about being killed. You're talking about rising from the dead. What in the world are you doing? Peter rebukes Jesus. And the reason why is that he doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. He has in his mind that the Messiah would come as a conquering king. What is this deal about suffering? What is this deal about laying his life down? What is this deal about rising from the dead and being rejected by the religious leaders? Peter doesn't have perspective to understand that. He's totally confused. He totally misses it. Last Sunday, woke up early Went in, fixed coffee. I ate oatmeal just about every single morning. And I always put strawberries on the oatmeal. 
And so reach in, grab the strawberries, slice them up. But here's what you need to know. It's pretty dark in the kitchen at that point. Everybody else is asleep. Try not to make as much noise. So I eat it, finish up. Monday morning, wake up, do the exact same thing. And for some reason, I don't know why, I thought in my head, I wonder if those strawberries are good. And so I grabbed my phone, I put the flashlight on, and I pulled the strawberries out of the container that they were in. Church, there was organisms growing (laughs) on the strawberries. And I ate them the morning before that. I didn't die, so I guess that's good, right? But I was completely blind to that reality until the light shone on the strawberries, and I saw very clearly what was going on. Jesus, in this moment with Peter, recognizes that Peter doesn't understand. He can't see clearly what Jesus is saying. It's the reason he pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him, but I want you to notice that verse 33 says, turning and seeing his disciples, this is Jesus, he rebuked Peter. The same force that Peter had rebuked Jesus, Jesus rebukes Peter, but notice what he says to him. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. The same Peter that Jesus had said on the back end of the confession, you didn't come up with this on your own. This was from the Father, says to Peter in this moment after Peter rebukes him, get behind me, Satan. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Why would Jesus be so forceful here? In fact, I think what he knows is that the rest of his disciples are probably thinking a lot like Peter is thinking. This idea of a suffering servant Messiah is not in their framework whatsoever. But I want you to recognize that Jesus says very clearly You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And in calling him Satan in this moment, I don't think he was saying that Peter was Satan. I think that this perspective of not having a suffering servant as a Messiah was from Satan. In fact, when you look back at Jesus' temptation, it's briefly recorded earlier in Mark's gospel. We see it in more detail in Matthew chapter 4. In fact, in verses 8 and 9, the third temptation that Satan lodges towards Jesus is look around. Look at all of this. If you will fall down and worship me, Satan says, I will give you this. The temptation for Jesus in that moment was, let's bypass the cross, and you can have what you've come for. 
That is Satan's temptation lodged towards Jesus. And think about that. In this same context, Peter is saying to Jesus, we want a Messiah who comes as a conquering king, not as a suffering servant. And Jesus forcefully says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are focused not on the things of God, but on the things of man, whatever would be most comfortable for you. I want you to notice that beginning in verse 34 and walking down through verse 1 of chapter 9, Jesus is going to lay out for us direct expectations of those who will follow him. Verse 34, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Jesus lays it out for us here. If anyone would come after me, notice what Jesus says. Let him first deny himself. Second, take up his cross. Third, follow me. Jesus sets the expectations very clearly. As I think about our veterans here, those who are serving in the military now, what every single military member did was to swear an oath at their enlistment. Set the very clear expectations of their responsibility in serving this country. In fact, this is, this is the oath. I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me according to the regulations and the uniform code of military justice, so help me God. Every service member swore that oath and knew it potentially could cost them their life as they served this country. Why do they deserve honor? That's why. But I want you to notice that Jesus for his disciples says, if you want to follow me, here's what it looks like. Here are the expectations. Deny yourself. Take up your cross, follow me. I think Jesus explains each one of those statements in the verses that follow. So think about, deny yourself. Look at verse 35. Jesus says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What does it look like to deny yourself? 
As a follower of Jesus, well, it begins with recognizing that it is impossible for us to save ourselves. It is impossible for us to do enough good to earn the favor of God. In fact, Jesus says, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, the beginning point of following Jesus is surrender. Waving the white flag and saying, I cannot do this myself. That's what it looks like to deny yourself. Not only that, Jesus follows that with, and take up his cross. For us, it's interesting in today's context because people wear crosses as jewelry. But a cross at this point in time would have been understood as an instrument of death. It would have been the equivalent of the electric chair in our context. Imagine walking up to someone and seeing they have a gold chain on with an electric chair there. Like, that's a little crazy. And yet, that's exactly what Jesus says to his disciples. If you're going to follow me, you are going to take up your cross, your instrument of death. Notice verse 36 and 37. For what does it profit a man? To gain the whole world. And forfeit his soul. For what can a man give in return for his soul? Jesus says to those who would follow him that it is a call to come and to die. Not a call to try to gain everything that we can. But a call to lose everything. To follow him. And the truth is, it is worth it. Jesus finishes and says, follow me. Look with me at verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the angels. What does it look like to follow Jesus? It looks like pursuing after him whatever it may cost. Hear me this morning. In this cultural context in which we live, this becomes glaring for us. Are we ashamed of what Jesus teaches Are we ashamed of what God's word proclaims? Because what Jesus lays out for us is this. If we are going to follow him, we must be willing to follow him whatever it may cost us. And hear me this morning, church, it very well will cost us. Paul says, whoever desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Students, hear me this morning. If you're going to follow Jesus, it will cost you something with your friends in this moment in which you live. 
Church, if we are going to follow Jesus, regardless of what it may cost in this moment in which we live, there may be a day that comes when we have to make a choice, will we follow Jesus or will we follow the edicts of the government under which we sit? And the answer will be the same as it was for Jesus' disciples. We must obey God rather than man. Because that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. It is a call to come and die. Jesus leaves his disciples with this measure of hope in verse 1 of chapter 9. He said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Say, what in the world is going on here? I think Jesus is preparing them for what's about to happen beginning in verse 2. We'll see this next week. The transfiguration when Jesus is seen by just a handful of his disciples in his full glory. And it's declared by the Father, this is my beloved Son. Jesus is saying to his disciples, giving them this taste of hope in this moment. He is the suffering servant who has come to lay his life down for sinners. But he reminds his disciples he also is the conquering king who will return back the second time for his church. Our hope this morning as followers of Jesus is that it may cost us everything to follow Jesus. But hear me, we are following not only the suffering servant, we are following the conquering king, and it is worth it. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? As our worship team makes their way back up to sing, Maybe you've come in today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, but you've heard clearly who Jesus is and what he came to do. And the step for you this morning is to place your faith and trust in him for salvation, to wave that white flag of surrender, to declare that he is the savior that you desperately need. That's a step that you need to take. We would love to help you. Just a little bit as we sing, you can come grab my hand or Pastor Cody's hand and say, I need to take that step of following Jesus. We'd love to walk you through that. Maybe you want to fill out a card and we can follow up with you over the course of this next week. Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus this morning, but this is at home for you. And you would say as we gather, I'm willing to, to follow Jesus, whatever it may cost. Because it very well will cost us to truly follow Jesus. But it's worth it. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. God, would you pierce our hearts with the truth? Would you draw us close to yourself? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us 
standing and singing as we close out this morning.